views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show is pre-recorded. Everyday Wealth is produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky. Ms. Chatsky is not an employee or client of the firm. She receives fixed cash compensation as host and for related activities, and therefore has an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everydaywealth. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed by the firm, technology spending, staff diversity, succession planning, and other metrics. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with personal finance expert, Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky. Hey, everybody, it's Gene Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining me today on Everyday Wealth. So my husband and I, we play a game sometimes. Maybe you do this with your spouse or with your partner. We try to guess who the other person is talking with on the phone just based on their body language or their tone of voice or whether they're smiling or tense. And Elliot says he can always tell when I'm talking to my son, Jake, just from the look on my face, which is probably just a mom thing. Well, yesterday I I walked into our room and he's stretched out chatting happily away. He is relaxed. He's laughing. He's listening more than he's talking. And it took me a few minutes. And to be honest, I eavesdropped on a few snippets of conversation. But eventually I realized he was talking to his friend, our friend, Kate White. And he has known Kate since they were just out of college editors at a magazine called Family Weekly, which eventually went on to become USA Weekend, the Sunday magazine that you used to get in many papers. Kate went on to become the editor of Cosmo. She is now off that gig and writing mysteries and psychological thrillers. The latest, by the way, which I just finished is called Between Two Strangers. It's fantastic. And what's amazing about Kate's story is that she does all of this while living part of the year in, wait for it, Uruguay. She and her husband have moved, at least for part of the year, to Uruguay. They took a vacation there. They found it idyllic. They thought maybe they would like to live there permanently, maybe even retire there. And the statistics show that they are not alone, although it's not exactly clear how many Americans actually have retired abroad. The locations where people collect their social security checks actually give us some sort of a ballpark figure. So according to the Social Security Administration, as of 2021, over a half million people who live outside the U.S. receive some sort of social security benefit. That is a 62% increase since the last numbers were reported back in 2008. And Because many American retirees living overseas may still choose to have their benefits deposited in U.S. banks, we know that those numbers may be a vast understatement. It wouldn't be surprising, not to me, at least the way that technology has evolved, allowing us to stay interconnected wherever we are. And 
essentially control our finances from anywhere and everywhere as well. You've seen evidence that this is happening. Magazines, newspapers, TV shows, they've taken notice and they're pumping out headlines like Americans are saving money by retiring overseas. That was the Wall Street Journal this past May. And from Yahoo Finance, boomers prefer to retire abroad. The question is, is retiring overseas all it's cracked up to be? Today, we're going to separate a little fact from fiction. We're going to take a realistic look at the pros and cons, and we're going to do it with the help of our friend, Andy Smith. As many of you know, Andy is a wealth planner at Edelman Financial Engines. Always nice to see you. It is always nice to see you. So let's circle back to the perception as we see it in the media, maybe as we see it on HGTV of retiring overseas, you'd think it was a, a no-brainer. You'd think it was a, a slam dunk, and yet, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yet, you're yeah. laughing immediately. Yeah, uh, you know, it's not to say that there aren't potential upsides to retiring abroad. I mean, you may find this paradise where you can retire. Uh, in some cases, it may be cheaper than retiring in the United States, but there's no free lunch, right? And so the trade-off for all this natural beauty, the, the trade-off for all these quote-unquote lower costs is that, you know, the costs of living, the true costs of living may be a lot different or a lot higher than you realize. The true costs. So you're, you're talking about the downside. Can you, let's, Let's we are here to that. burst bubbles, Gene. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's just wreck your life at this point. Let's so. parse it out yeah. a little bit. So uh, the first and most obvious is that you have a different culture, a different lifestyle. Um, for some people, this could be the most unsettling issue that they're going to work with. So there's this allure of travel, right? So you experience the new culture, you experience these exotic cultures. But the big difference is between spending a week when you're in a hotel or kind of a tourist district, maybe you have a fixer with you who solves all of these, you know, incredible problems that you never see and spending the rest of your life there where you have to, you know, it's not just ordering food at a restaurant at a hotel, right? You have to figure out how to rent an apartment. You have to figure out how to get your utilities turned on. You have to figure out how to get health care dozens of other things that are a part of your normal life right now that you don't think about because you've had 40, 50, 60 years to get used to the idea. Well, then all of a sudden you go overseas for a long period of time. You have no fixer, right? This isn't a tourist district anymore. You're you, flying solo. You are the one that has to solve all these issues. And you are not eating breakfast every morning at that wonderful hotel buffet. No, absolutely not. And so the other thing that you have to think about is people in different countries may have different views. They may have different habits. They may have different behaviors. So if you're the type of person who likes all of this difference and you never know what you're going to get every morning when you wake up, that's great. But if you don't like that, you could experience a pretty big culture shock when all of a sudden you've potentially sold everything. You're over there and you're trying to figure out how to make this work. The big thing that we see kind of every two years, every four years is politics, right? Political views, um, election experiences could be very different than what you're used to. So you may have to kind of shut up and keep your views to yourself. And if you're not used to that, right, you have to realize that your quote unquote team isn't there to back you up and you're looking left and right and it's just you. And a lot of times you're the de facto representative of the entire country and you have to be ready for everybody else 
you know, kind of laying into you at times. The language, too, could be more exhausting than you imagine. My stepdaughter and her boyfriend just spent an amazing year abroad where they lived in four different countries for three months each and uh, kept their jobs, saved money because it was cheaper to Airbnb than it was to rent an apartment in New York City. So that was that was one of the pluses. But when they spent time in countries where even though they knew a little bit of the language, having to constantly process and think about translating and think about if you were getting it right was isolating and and really mentally exhausting. Yeah. And I want to talk about the numbers about this, but to the point of language, I have a friend from college who he just decided that he wanted to live in Brazil. Okay. He wanted to go to Sao Paulo. He was going to figure out how to make it work. So for six months, he did Berlitz. Now this was late nineties. Okay. So there wasn't the app. There Mm -hmm. wasn't anything else. You just, I mean, he did the one-on-one instruction for six months and basically rewired his brain to be able to live down there full time and then he moved and and did everything else. Well, then from there, he wanted to do the same thing in Frankfurt, Germany. From there, he wanted to do something else. So, I mean, there are ways to do it, but I remember talking to him and he said, it was just, you're just exhausted at the end of the day because you're not just thinking about the conversation. Now, all of a sudden you're thinking about what did this person just say? There's a little bit of a pause and then you're able to, to have that conversation. So it's not undoable. Right. right. It's not impossible. People do it all the time, but you just have to be ready for the language aspect. I was talking about the numbers. Yes. Um, you know, once you have the numbers figured out, right, once you actually figure out where all these dollars are coming from and where they're going, you have to realize you might be a little bit disappointed in the quality of life. All right. So, yes, everybody thinks, oh, my gosh, I'm going to live overseas and it's going to be super cheap. So cheaper countries, you have to realize they may have different infrastructure or no infrastructure. So they, there may be limited entertainment. There may be limited shopping options. Uh, shops oftentimes close at the whims of the owner. And what you think is the stated hours really aren't, and there's no r- real way for you to come around that. Um, local groceries may not carry all of the staples in your dietary routine. I hate to say it. But food allergies, a lot of times, are the luxury of first world countries. And you try to do something free or reduced something, and it's not going to work. So just between language and numbers and cost of living and infrastructure, it's not impossible. It's not undoable. You just have to go into this with eyes wide open to figure this all out at the beginning. Which is why, I mean, I think what my kids did and what your friend did going for six months, going for three months, not selling everything and taking a test drive is actually a really, really smart move. Oh, absolutely. And so a lot of times people, um, you know, no matter where you are, you need housing. Right. Okay. And so for a lot of Americans, they're used to owning their own home. And so you spend some time, you figure out where you want to go and you can kind of pick and choose and, and zero in on some different options. Great. When you get to the point when you're getting pretty serious about where you want to be and you start thinking about owning your own home, you have to realize that home ownership abroad isn't necessarily as straightforward as it is in the United States. A lot of countries don't let foreigners buy property. Others may limit the ability of retirees to obtain mortgages. Um, in some countries, purchasing property and the laws around ownership get super murky. 
I and was, it's 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 completely different. Or it works totally differently. My husband and I were just in Scotland for a vacation. We were talking to some locals. Their mortgage rate resets every five years. So folks here in the U.S. who have locked into a low rate 30 year mortgage can take their time. We can sit on that. But overseas, that rate may actually reset when you don't want it to, Absolutely. right? It, it's a different system, so which is what you're saying. Yeah. And so there's the finance aspect of it. There's also just kind of the legal aspect of this, right? I was talking with one of our producers on the show, Brian. He was telling me about this nightmare scenario that his father-in-law went through. Um, his father-in-law immigrated to the United States in the late 70s. A few years ago, he decided that he wanted to retire back to that country, right? So we went there found a realtor. I'm going to put heavy use of the air quotes around realtor and you'll know why. Um, but he found a realtor, bought a home in a beachside community, spent thousands of dollars fixing it up, then locked it up, came back to the United States to get his affairs in order. He goes back six months later, found a family living in the home. Whoa. So this quote unquote realtor, turns out that realtor who sold him that house broke into it resold it to another family. So no the crazy thing is, yeah, way. absolutely. And the, the thing is, he had no recourse because the laws around property in that country, the, the laws around property ownership, completely different than the United States. So there's no standardized process for grant deeds, no assessor's office no to verify, no, no title insurance, nothing. So yeah, he just walked. Imagine coming back, finding another family just living in your house. Oh my God. That's that is just horrifying. And and I guess I mean, they say possession is nine tenths of the law, but maybe it actually is. Yeah, this is 10 tenths of the law. Right. <laughs> so the worst part is, is that the father in law lost the entire investment. Oh. Right. And so he still it's not like he was unfamiliar with the country. Right. He lost everything. So this is just a reminder. If you're going to buy property in another country, you not only need a great realtor, you're going to need a good and honest local real estate attorney to help you navigate all through this. Which is based on the fact that they will allow you to live there to begin with. Yeah. I mean, it, the rules I've been reading my Wall Street Journal as much as everybody. Yeah. The, it seems like the rules on being able to live in a foreign place for a longer period of time to get citizenship, they're, they're just getting tighter and more expensive. It's getting tighter. It's getting more expensive. I mean, there used to be the quote unquote golden visa, yep. right? Where you go and you set up a business, you buy property. It's the Terry Donovan storyline from Ray Donovan, where he wants to go start a, uh, a boxing club in Ireland, right? And so a lot of those things have changed. And so it's just talk, do your research, talk with attorneys, talk with people in country. You have to figure out all these kind of ins and outs. One easy way around this is, hey, maybe consider renting. For a little while. For a little figure while. it out if you like it. Absolutely. And I tell my clients in the States the same thing right now, right? You are dead set on buying this second property at retirement. You just have to be in this particular location go rent for two, three months at a time. It's an easy way to do it. Find maybe a hip pocket deal that's not listed. Get in good with the owner. They love you. You love them. And it's a way for you to just see what things are like in and off time when you're responsible for everything. But, you know, really before committing to any sort of lease agreement, just understand what's included in the monthly rent. 
Some places include appliances and utilities. Some places don't. The other thing that you have to remember, uh, you know, as well is how you are going to pay for all of this stuff. Well, I, I would assume that if you retire in another country, maybe you are paying those bills and expenses in the currency of that other country. Right which sets up a whole other set of issues relating to converting your dollars. I, I think I told you we spent some time in Argentina recently and Argentines, because of inflation that is running like crazy, would actually rather be paid in in U.S. dollars. So it, it depends. It does depend. I mean, they used to say live in one country have your citizenship in another country and keep your money in a third country, right? <laughs> so it's maybe not that easy. Um, but to your point, when you have your savings in one currency and you're living in country, you're going to be vulnerable to potential fluctuations in currency markets. So take a current example with the euro, right? U.S. dollar, pretty strong against the euro right now. But from 2000 to 2008, it lost almost half of its value against the euro. Right. U.S. dollar against the euro and movements can be pretty sudden. I mean, we saw that in 2011 when the dollar lost. What was it like 18 yeah. percent against the euro in less than a year? So this isn't impossible. But if you're going to do this, you have to at least have in the back of your mind, you may need to maybe not be a full on currency trader, but at least know how currencies are going to work, you know, against the other U.S. to to wherever you are. Boy, you've given us a good basic set Have of I things. Have I broken your spirit yet? No, okay. no, I'm, I'm tougher than that. Part two is coming, so give exactly. me a chance. Exactly, and part two, we're going to talk about taxation. We're going to talk about health care. Stick with us. We'll be back right after this. Are you worried about the current volatility of the market, inflation rates, talk of a recession? Are you second-guessing your investment decisions? What better time than now to ensure your finances are moving forward than by getting an expert second opinion from an Edelman Financial Engines planner? Whether you already have a planner or simply need a new perspective, they can help you manage your wealth plan to both weather the volatility of the market today and help you protect and preserve it over the long term. To schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today, call 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-752-6333. Or visit their website at efewealthplanners.com. Put your uncertainties to rest once and for all. Schedule your complimentary wealth checkup right now. We are back. I'm talking with Andy Smith. He is a wealth planner with Edelman Financial Engines. We're, we're talking about retiring overseas, which is something that I think a lot of people are thinking about these days, at least according to the numbers. And personally, I am not trying to burst anyone's bubble. Andy may have a completely Don't put different, words in my mouth, Gene. completely different agenda. We just want to make sure you are prepared. Absolutely. And so one of the big reasons that I hear when people start talking about retiring overseas is that they're worried that they can't afford to retire here in the United States, yeah. or they can't retire with the lifestyle that they want or have grown accustomed to. And they think it's going to be cheaper in another country. My best friend in college worked for two summers at an Alaskan fishery. Okay. So the, you know, the, the shows where you see these guys on the crab boats. So he would work, he would work for an entire summer and he could basically pay for two years at Purdue earning in a summer what he had there. But there were other guys that were living there and working there and they'd go live in India for nine months out of the year. And they said that they'd live like kings. 
Wow. Right. So this is not a new concept that people are trying to wrap their brains around. The issue is what I see as a financial planner is that people are kind of going off half cocked and they think that they can do it and they have no plan. They have no sense of currency fluctuations or costs or how to rent or where to live or anything else. There are things that we can do and put together from a planning perspective to see if it'll work. Much better that you do that now while you haven't sold everything and are in country. Because look, if you really want to retire overseas, you got to make sure that you can afford it. And you got to make sure that you're the right person to be able to work through all of this. And then you have to deal with two rather large issues. You have to deal with taxes and you have to deal with health care. And they're complicated. Incredibly complicated. And you think that taxes and health care are complicated when you're domiciled in the in the states, it gets even more complicated when you're abroad. So let's start with taxation. Unlike many countries, the U.S. is going to tax your income, whether it's earned here or it's not earned here, right? So if you're a U.S. citizen or a resident alien, the rules for filing income, estate, gift tax returns, paying estimated taxes, they're generally the same whether you're in the U.S. or if you're abroad. So you are subject to tax on worldwide income from all of the sources. So you got to report all your taxable income. You got to pay taxes per the Internal Revenue Code. This could mean that any income that you earn overseas could be taxed by our country and your host country. So all of this money that you think you're saving may not really be the case just, you know, purely from a taxation perspective. And this is why a lot of people talked about, remember when Tina Turner passed away a while ago, Mm -hmm. they kind of speculated that this is one of the reasons why she gave up on her U.S. citizenship and, you know, became a citizen of Switzerland. It was partly to avoid that, that double taxation. So if you do decide to expatriate, you have to realize that a lot of nations charge tax rates for the wealthy at a far higher rate than the U.S. charges, right? And sometimes some countries have tax laws that are radically different from ours. For example, a foreign country may have no capital gains tax, but they may assess a tax on your entire net worth. So it's not so much what you're doing or what's kind of coming in, it's what you have overall. And then there is the question of what those taxes by you, right. right? I mean, if you're living someplace where there are much, much lower taxes, a lower obligation, you got to wonder, all right, what am I not getting? Right. Everything has a price. Everything, there's a trade-off for everything. So if the taxes where you are living overseas are minimal, you could probably expect a corresponding decrease in municipal services. Right. So roads, police, firefighters, building and food safety, ambulances, hospitals could be poor, could be non-existent. Right. So, you know, ditto for the accommodations for the disabled. Right. Wheelchair ramps, other accessibility features that you're used to here in the States could be non-existent somewhere else. I mean, it's so complicated that I would imagine if this is something that you are seriously thinking about, you want to get yourself an accountant who specializes in people who have moved to that place, right? Right. Not just moved abroad, but moved abroad to that specific place. Right. And so it just goes back, you know, I say this all the time, plan your work and work your plan. Talk to people now who have done what you want to do. Talk with CPAs, talk with attorneys who, like you said, work with people, not just expatriates, but 
people who live where you are, because everything is so specific to where you're going to be. You have to go into this eyes wide open so that you can figure out before you leave, is this something that we really want to consider? All right. Let's talk about healthcare, okay. and And let's not just talk about health care. Let's talk about good quality health care. I mean, we are used to a, a level, many of us, a level of health care in the United States that is pretty good. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, think about it like this. Um, there was a very famous British journalist and critic. His name was A.A. A. Gill and passed away from cancer a couple of years ago. He wrote about this in his final article, and he explained that he was denied immunotherapy by England's National Health Service, NHS, uh, due to cost. All right. So this is and continues to be a treatment that's widely available in the United States, could have greatly extended his life. If he had private insurance, would have been covered for the treatment. But wow. again, NHS said not going to be covered. And that's, I mean, that's England. So we're talking about, you know, just being aware of the healthcare in country where you're considering. And, and being aware of the fact that if you are doing this for retirement, I mean, Medicare is a big deal and Medicare doesn't go with you to other countries. Medicare coverage stops at the U.S. border, plain and simple, right? So you either have to rely on nationalized healthcare if the country that you live in even offers it, or you have to buy a private insurance policy and that can get pretty expensive, right? So again, it goes back to cost. All this money that you think that you're magically saving, you start to itemize just what it takes to have the existence that you have right now gets pretty expensive. And even if you choose to go with the nationalized option, you still have to maintain your Medicare premiums. Right. Because what happens if you come back to the United States to live or if you need to have a procedure that's not available and could be done better in the state? So just because you move doesn't mean that you save money. A lot of times you're paying double for what you have right now. So many things to think about. You have walked us through the language differences, the cultural differences, the complicated laws around owning property currency fluctuations, taxes, health care. I, I mean, and that's got to be just the tip of the iceberg. Um, it is the tip of the iceberg. And remember that there's that pesky little thing called family that you need to remember. So this is you or you and your spouse going abroad. Are you going to be okay being thousands of miles from your kids, from your grandkids, from the rest of your family? Some people, it's a no-brainer. Yes, get me eight countries away from my family. For some, it's not. And they're not considering it as they're thinking about all these wonderful things living abroad. Have you had clients for whom this has become a reality? Have you walked them through the process of doing the financial plan? Yes. Um, so there's one client that they did this and worked out great. Right. There's one family who did this and realized that it's not some sort of eat, pray, love, you know, Hollywood, you know, romance. This is not Kevin Klein and, you know, Meg Ryan falling in love and living and it's just going to be great. This was more like broke down palace, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's just, oh my gosh, what did we do? This is terrible. We need to get back. And so when it works, it works. But the couple who did it, right? They planned. We had a chance to talk through things and we looked at numbers. We looked at um, amounts. We looked at healthcare, taxation, all of these different things. The other family, they just got a wild hair and they went for it and thought that everything was going to work out. And so it's, 
look, if you're working with somebody, talk with them, talk with the advisor, go through all of these different things. There's a litany of items that need to be addressed. If you're not working with somebody, we'd be honored to talk with you. And because there's a lot of things that we have done. This is not our first time helping somebody do this. This is probably your first time doing this. So of all the things that we've talked about, we're happy and honored to help. Just talk with somebody to work through this so that you're not absolutely surprised in country and you have no recourse. Devil's in the details. Thank you, Andy, as always. Thank you. We're going to shift gears and bring on a guest who's going to help us learn more about the actual process for living and retiring abroad, if that's something that is interesting to you. Her name is Elizabeth Graycon. She is the Managing Director of the Department of State's Office of Overseas Citizens Services. Liz, great to have you here. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Why do you think there is so much additional interest these days in living and retiring abroad? Well, I think it's a couple of different things. One is that people on a fixed income can live a different lifestyle when they're living overseas. Um, Sometimes the social security check that is $1,000 or $2,000 can go a lot further in some parts of the world than in the United States. And the other thing is we've just been exposed a lot more to opportunities to travel in our lifetimes in the last generation. Um, and so people have had these opportunities. Maybe they want to learn a new language um, in retirement or they've had an amazing vacation in a place and they want to go back and spend some more time there. So a lot of different factors contributing. Well, what do you think the biggest misconceptions are? What What are the things that people really don't think about when they're thinking, oh, I'm going to go retire to this tropical locale? Really, three things come to mind. The first one is that it's not the same as a vacation. And I think we all know that even from moving around the United States. A place you loved to visit might not be the same when you're really trying to live there. When you're going on vacation to a beach town, you check into a hotel, you eat your meals in restaurants, you're not dealing with the day-to-day bureaucracy, maybe of renting an apartment, um, grocery shopping, getting your cell phone or your utilities hooked up. Um, all of those things that are, are harder in a foreign culture, in a foreign language, maybe you don't know how to navigate them. A second misperception, I think, is that it can be isolating for people. Mm. Um, you're going, moving to a new place and maybe you don't want to go to a place where there's a lot of U.S. citizens or a lot of English speaking people because you truly do want to immerse yourself and learn the culture. But then you might find that it is, it's hard to make friends as adults. Let's be honest. And so maybe you're having a hard time finding your group or you do go to a place that has a lot of expats, a lot of Americans, a lot of Canadians. And suddenly it comes to May or June and you find out they're all snowbirds and they've gone back to their homes in the United States, but you were planning to stay year round and find that maybe your community isn't there. I certainly hope the COVID pandemic was a once in a lifetime, a once in a multi-generational event, but a lot of American citizens who are abroad during COVID, particularly older Americans, really found themselves isolated when they couldn't come back because they didn't yet have the vaccine or they couldn't travel safely or there weren't flights from the place they were living. Their family and friends couldn't come to visit them. And it was really something I think people didn't anticipate when they had made that decision. Boy, those are such good points. And and the, the last one on your list might put me off it entirely. But if you're not daunted and you're thinking, okay, I, I, I'm still up for this, how can you prepare yourself so that that feeling of 
not being on vacation or the feeling of not finding a community are issues that you can work yourself through. I mean, you mentioned people sometimes go through this in the United States. I think that's really true. I know people who retired to Arizona and moved back for the same reason. Exactly. Absolutely. Do your research, 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 research. And that's one of the places that the State Department can help. We have a lot of resources online on travel.state.gov with information for travelers, whether they are older travelers, whether they're students going on spring break, whether they are high risk travelers going to high adventure places. First of all, anyone planning to travel abroad, whether it's for retirement or a trip, should check your passport's validity. Make sure that your passport is still valid. Many countries require you to have a passport valid for six months when you enter. If you're applying for a residency visa to go and live in a place, you may need a passport that's valid even longer, maybe a year or two years from when you enter the country. So plan ahead for that. Go check your passport, find it right now and do that. The second thing I think is doing research about the risks of travel. We publish a travel advisory for every country in the world, ranking countries from level one, where you should exercise normal precautions, up to level four, do not travel. If the State Department says you should not travel to this country, you really should reconsider retiring there. Um, also a level three country where we say you should reconsider traveling there. Circumstances can change, certainly. But a country that is a level one or level two is going to have relatively fewer risks for people living there. What kind of risks are you talking about? So in, I'm talking about safety and security risks um, primarily. So for every country that we issue a travel advisory for, we give indicators of why there might be risks there. The most common one is often crime, but it could be limited health care. It could be a risk of kidnapping for U.S. citizens, a risk of civil unrest, um, which are the most common things, a risk of terrorism in some parts of the world. You mentioned your passport as one of the first steps that people need to take along with doing some research. What else do you need to do as you're preparing to pick yourself up and move? I think one of the biggest things you can do research on is healthcare costs and health insurance. Um, you may be going to a country that has a national healthcare system and that has amazing local healthcare, but you really need to do research on whether you can access that healthcare as someone who might be there on a temporary visa or a temporary residency, not yet a citizen of that country. We strongly recommend that all U.S. citizens traveling or retiring abroad get health insurance that covers not only your routine health care, but also medical evacuation in case of an emergency. And I hate to be morbid because I know we're talking about a great thing, moving abroad in retirement, but also potentially repatriation of remains should something happen. When you're talking about retiring abroad, you're planning for the long term. It's not just short term travel insurance. It's something that's going to cover you for the rest of your lifetime. While we're on a uh, down part of this topic, let's just stay there. There are a lot of scams when it comes to retiring abroad. There are a lot of people who are looking to take advantage of other people. It's not all the great exotic Marigold Hotel. So how do we know what's a scam? What kind of scams are you seeing? What do we need to be aware of? So all the scams that you're seeing in the United States are the same thing that Americans abroad are experiencing them. Whether those are romance scams, thinking that you've met someone online who maybe is the love of your life and then they start asking for money. One of the scams that's most common overseas or more common overseas can be real estate scams. So we have recently warned U.S. citizens in Mexico to be very cautious about timeshare scams. 
And the way those seem to be working is people who own a timeshare or a condo of some sort will get an offer for it. But then suddenly they have to pay a lot of fees to file the offer, to deal something with a real estate attorney, only to find out after they've put thousands or tens of thousands of dollars into this that it wasn't legit in the first place. It can happen to anybody. But in general, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Another kind of scam we see is people calling up your your grandmother or your niece and saying, this is Jean, I'm in Cancun, I've been arrested, you need to send $500 for me to get bail or to get an attorney. People want to help their family members, of course. And these scammers are very sophisticated. They sound legit. And so you send off the money only to realize that your niece Jean never left the US. She's been in school all day, had her phone off because she was taking a test. So really just be very cautious about who you're talking to online or on the phone. Yeah, that's so true. And especially um, with AI now, all a scammer needs is 30 seconds to a minute of audio with your voice and they can fake entire paragraphs as you. So they have to be really careful. Can you talk a little bit about dual citizenship? When does it apply? How does it affect your taxation, your residency, legal jurisdiction? Sure. So the biggest thing, of course, if you're a dual national, sometimes a triple or quadruple national, is that we recommend that you enter and exit the U.S. always on your U.S. passport. Enter and exit your country of other nationality on that country's passport. So if you're a dual national with France, you would enter and exit France on your French passport, the U.S. on your U.S. one. Anywhere else you go, take your pick of which passport you use. But when you're in your country of other nationality, you may not have access to all of our consular services in a real emergency. For instance, and these are things that thankfully are not common scenarios, but when a U.S. citizen gets arrested abroad, we visit them. We may not be able to visit an American who's arrested in their country of other nationality. You are always subject to U.S. taxes as a U.S. citizen or a U.S. national. And so regardless of what country you're living in, you need to be aware of taxation, maybe talk to an accountant or lawyer experienced in these issues um, if you're concerned about taxation. And finally, on a happy note, U.S. citizens can vote from wherever they are. So regardless of your dual nationality, we always encourage U.S. citizens to register to vote, request an absentee ballot. It can take a little longer when you're living overseas to get it by mail or email and send it back. So really also planning ahead for that, for continuing to exercise your rights as a U.S. citizen through voting. So Liz, I got to ask, this is something that you deal with every day. These are questions that you deal with, information that you deal with every single day. Is retiring or living abroad on your bucket list? And if it is, where are you going? Yeah, so continuing to travel throughout my life is absolutely on my bucket list. Maybe not living abroad, but going for some long stays. Um, when I am done working, I would love to go back to San Miguel Allende in Mexico, love to go back to Istanbul, Turkey, love to go back to Patagonia and Chile and Argentina. So a whole lot of places I'd like to go spend more time. Istanbul is high on my list as well. Liz, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And that's it for this show. I want to thank Andy Smith as well for being here. If you've got questions about retiring abroad or anything related to financial planning, you can give the folks at Edelman Financial Engines a call. Talk with one of the planners like Andy who can help you make good financial decisions for your future. And be sure to subscribe to Everyday Wealth wherever you stream your favorite podcasts or just visit us at everydaywealth.com. You'll find all of our episodes episodes available to you. Thanks so much and we'll talk soon. 
You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth with Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. If you've missed an episode or are interested in additional personal finance topics, be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast. Our podcast library offers helpful insights on topics such as tax-efficient portfolios, retirement withdrawal strategies, investing, and financial planning, to name just a few. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.